0: Maybe this series hasn't helped you any, but it's helped me some. <laughs> uh, I, I love to find things in the world. Jesus told a lot of parables, which basically is taking physical illustrations of things you see all around you and using those things to illustrate spiritual truths. Jesus, that's all Jesus' parables are. He, I think the day that he taught the lesson about the sower and the seed, um, they were probably watching a man planting his garden up on the hillside. and And so he gave the people a... Jewish people think in picture terms anyway. So he gave them a picture um, of something that's happened in the physical world to relate to them a spiritual truth. And so I, I love parables for that reason. And, um, and I love to find things around me um, that testify of the glory of God and that remind me of his goodness and remind me of his work in our lives. And so I was thinking about Thanksgiving. I generally do a series around Thanksgiving and a series around Christmas and um and 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 it always thanksgiving always revolves around the attitude of gratitude and christmas around the gift that that god has given to us um thanksgiving kind of bridges the gap between those two but um <clears throat> this year i got i just got thinking about when november rolls around i think about thanksgiving i mean it's that's when you think november it's synonymous with thanksgiving when i think about thanksgiving I think about food. Um, Thanksgiving revolves around the dinner table, and so I just began to think about the whole the whole Thanksgiving atmosphere and the fellowship that we enjoy, and um, and it, and it led me to think about the number of times. And I actually went through, and I hadn't even scratched the surface of them. and not going to try, but if you want to just do a word study, sometimes um, just go through the Bible and look at all the different times that the Bible refers to itself as as some kind of food, as something that you eat, as something that you that's something you drink in, um, and, and Jesus as well. And so um, I, got, I, I just thought about how this whole process of growing spiritually looks a lot like our growth um, in the physical sense, um, in, the, in the whole digestive process. And so let me just start with a premise that I've shared with you every week and um, and just kind of build on that. The two aspects of, of ministry in the church, you can you can take it all back to two words. Everything that we do is about evangelism and discipleship. It's about winning the loss to Christ, and it's about um, teaching those that have been won to Christ how to win other people to Jesus. That's discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship is the whole ministry of the church. It doesn't matter what other... What other um, we support a lot of children's homes. The ministry of those children's homes is not just to take kids in, give them a home life. The ministry of those children's homes is to lead those children to Christ, teach those children how to become disciples of Christ so that when they get out of that children's home, they can go in the world and do what Christ has called them to do. And so every ministry we support has that as its ultimate goal. The ministry of this church is evangelism and discipleship. And we'll never be good at evangelism unless we become good disciples. And so that's what this whole series mainly is about. Is I preached for several weeks on the, on the importance of evangelism, and we're going to go back there some this morning. But discipleship is the next key um, to the church making disciples. And in fact, what the Bible tells me my primary responsibility is as is a pastor to feed the flock of God and to equip you, according to Ephesians, to do the work of the ministry. And the, the work of the ministry is the work of evangelizing, evangelizing the world for Christ. I believe that's the only reason he leaves us here um, after our salvation So how do you make a disciple I believe that disciples are made From a regular diet Of good spiritual food Disciples are made By, by a regular diet Of spiritual food Now I looked up the whole digestive process Before I started this message And it was I had a bunch of scriptures wrote down About different ways that food is used In the Bible um, To illustrate spiritual truths um, but it was amazing to me how those verses just kind of fit in with this whole physical digestive process. Um, the, the digestive process, you can look online, and some of them will, will give some, will break this apart a little more. But you can basically boil it down to four things ingestion, which is the eating of the food, um, digestion or absorption, which is taking that food into your body as, as nutrition and as energy. Uh, assimilation, which is what, what, what comes out of that, the ability to go out and do what, what we're supposed to be um, doing. And then, and then the last one we're going to cover next week. And this is going to be fun. I'm not, I promise you I'm not, it's not going to be gross. It's, I'm not going to get out there. But there's an aspect of cleansing that has to take place in our life. Um, there's a laying aside of things. There's a putting off of things. Um, and so the whole business of ingestion, um, that's where the whole digestive process ends at. You discard that that's useless um, for your body. So when you understand the spiritual process um, in this, and and, and we're going to hit that third one this morning, but ingestion, um, Jesus in, in John chapter 6 and the first I am um, told us that if we believe, if we eat that bread and, and, and drink his blood, that we have everlasting life. Um, the whole eating and drinking in that context is used interchangeably with the word believing. So when you talk about the spiritual digestive process, Um, ingestion is believing who the Lord Jesus is believing what the Lord Jesus did and believing what the Lord Jesus said ingestion is all about putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that's first, that's foremost, that's final everything else flows out of that Um, if you got a good knowledge of the word but you don't make Jesus the first thing in the word your good knowledge of the word will be used to beat people up and beat people down uh, or to to free people to live any way they want to live if you start with a foundation of Jesus um, and, and when you read the word, take everything back to Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said. Um, you'll have a solid foundation laid. So ingestion is all about believing in who Jesus is, what he did, and what he said. Um, last week we talked about the business of digestion or absorption. It, that's, you, you'll see it different ways, and sometimes you'll see them both together. Um, digesting is understanding. Understanding. Um, you, you, it's, it's really easy to be saved If you believe Jesus is the only begotten Son of God Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life Died a sacrificial death, buried in a borrowed tomb Rose again on the third day and ascended back to the Father If you believe that and are willing to trust your salvation to that You can be saved That's what the Bible says That's pretty simple um, But then our responsibility is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ We need to put roots down into that And we need that to make an impact and a change in our life so the business of digesting is to understand more about who Jesus is, um, what he did, and what he said. And when you talk about digesting, we, we, we talked about the milk and the meat of God's word. Those terms are used often, the milk being the foundational truths of salvation and who we are in Christ. And then the milk or the meat being those deeper doctrines of God's word that, that put our roots down and keep us from being carried away and by every wind of doctrine. So that's where our understanding comes from. In the book of Hebrews, the sixth verse tells us um, that, um, that, we, that, that after we've drank the milk of the word, that it's time for us, after we understand those foundational doctrines, it's time for us um, to set those things, not set them aside in, in that we forget them, but to move on from those things unto perfection. And that's where the whole business of understanding comes from. The assimilating in the spiritual digest- or assimilation in the spiritual digestive process, is the business of of applying that. It's it's the it's the what what the what the bread and the milk and the meat do for us um, that move us to go out and um, and do the work that God has called us to do. So after we ingest the bread, after we digest the milk and the meat, we absorb that into our spiritual body. And it produces for us the same thing physical food does. Um, the, the nutrition, the strength, the energy, um, the antibodies, everything that we need to go out and do the work that God has called us to do. In fact, I was thinking about the passage where um, the Bible talks about all Scripture is inspired by God and given for, for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. <clears throat> and then he said, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. So if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we understand the milk and the meat of his word, we have everything that we need to be useful in the work that God has called us to do. So assimilation occurs when we believe Christ, understand his word, and there is a change that is produced in us because of that. So we, we, we we've um, we, the title of this whole series has been Let's Eat. First, the bread. If you don't start with Jesus, you've started in the wrong place already, all right? You've got to start you got to continue. you got to end with Jesus. I used the illustration in the first message. Those old-timers would not eat without bread. Um, they wanted bread when they started. They wanted bread while they was eating. And they wanted bread when they finished. Uh, I remember Brother Hinky Matthews asking often, where's the bread at when we had fifth Sunday dinner? Where's the bread at? He thought he was missing. <laughs> and uh, I got to where I said, I think somebody just needs to bring a loaf of light bread so that Brother can put a piece of light bread on it. If there ain't no biscuits there, he'll be satisfied with light bread. And let me just say this again. When when you're talking about the bread of life, you've got to start, continue, and finish with Jesus. You can't ever leave him out of the equation. When you study God's word, Jesus is the centerpiece of the word of God. So first the bread, then the milk and the meat, which is the understanding of God's word, growing deeper, putting your roots down into Christ. And the message title I'm going to use this morning is, Let's Eat the Sweet. The sweet is my favorite part of the meal. Now, I, I told you sometimes when I get through with Thanksgiving dinner and they got all them nice desserts up there on the table, I have to say I, I might hit the pause button for a few minutes and give me 15 minutes or 20 minutes until I've assimilated, some, until I've uh, taken some of this into my system and I don't feel quite as full as I do now, and then I go back and fix me a dessert plate. Um, but, the, but the last part of the and I, I, I get it that, I'm this, that all this is not food, but this is the process of digestion, the The sweetness. I don't have any New Testament metaphors um, like the Bible gives us for bread, milk, and meat. I don't have any New Testament metaphors that illustrates um, the sweetness of this spiritual digestive process. But hopefully you'll catch on with me. If you look with me at Nehemiah chapter 8, if you understand the context of Nehemiah, Nehemiah um, rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Ezra rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall and then they had a time of, of spiritual renewal and spiritual <clears throat> cleansing. They had a time of repentance and a time of revival. But There's a passage in Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning in verse 8. Um, you, you got Ezra opening up the book, which is God's word. He's opening up the milk and the meat. He's opening it up for the people to, to, to hear and understand. So, Um, And then he's got other people, I'm not going to read the whole context, but he's got other people that when Nehemiah or when Ezra speaks God's word, these people run through the crowd and share it with them so that everybody can hear what's being said. So in verse 8 it says, So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now that's the definition of biblical preaching. They, you, you read the word of God and, and distinctly, and you give the sense of it, you give the interpretation of it, and you cause the people to understand what is being said. That's biblical preaching. And Nehemiah, which is, um, which is the Tershapha and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them now you can you can you can accuse me of taking this out of context, and making it say something that you, that it don't say, but I'm using it to illustrate the truth that I want you to hear this morning, which I believe is very well presented to us in this passage of scripture, and that is this. The people heard God's word. They believed God's word. They understood God's word. They applied God's word. They responded to it in repentance. They they understood their their faults, their flaws, their failures. They responded to it in sorrowful repentance. And as soon as they did that, Nehemiah said, Now, you've done what God has called you to do. This is not a day for you to be sorry anymore. This is a holy day. Now I want you to go out and take take... your food and your drink, and uh, eat the fat and drink the sweet and go, go take it to somebody else. Um, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. And, and he told them to do so with great mirth. Now here's what I want you to I want you to hear what I'm trying to say from this text this morning. The impact, that's what assimilation is. The impact of food on our bodies after we ingest it and digest it, it changes us. It changes our why they tell you to fast before before they draw your blood? Because it changes the molecular structure of your body. They want you fasting because they want to know what's there before you eat. Before all those numbers begin to climb. So when you when you um, take in the bread of life and you take in the milk of the meat, there is a change that occurs in you. These people had taken in the bread. They had taken in the milk. They had taken in the meat of the word of God in that they heard it, they believed it, they understood it, and they applied it. They repented and responded to it. And, and, and so um, when you do that, there is something that is produced in you that will send you out to share what you've received with somebody else. The impact of hearing, believing, understanding, applying produces in us a sweet and a generous joy that is worth sharing with somebody else. Now I get it in Nehemiah. Please don't misunderstand what I'm I understand that they're probably what Nehemiah is saying, this is not a day for you to be sad and sorrowful. It's time for you to celebrate what God has done in your life. And so take some of the food that you have, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and don't forget to share what you have with somebody else. That was probably real, literal, physical food, real, literal, physical wine, whatever it was. Um, but, but what I want you to understand is that that, that that generous joy that led them to go out like they did in verse 12 and share with others was produced by the ingestion and the digestion of the word of God does that make sense I hope you have understood what I'm trying to say in that text I just thought I thought of that when I immediately thought about what do you eat after you eat the, the bread the milk and, the, and, and the, the meat you eat the sweet you eat the dessert you take the dessert and the dessert to me is to go out and share what God has given to you um, with somebody else so look with me in John chapter 4 I think this will illustrate it better John chapter 4 Um, You know the story that's being told in John chapter 4. Almost the whole entire chapter comes from this um, one entire story. The last part has something else going on. But the first um, 42 verses are related to the story that begins in John chapter um, 4 verse 1. So let me give you the context and then we're going to read beginning in about verse 31. Um, Jesus intentionally went off of the beaten path. And out of the way to go through Samaria. Now, <clears throat> most of you have heard this said over and over again. The Jews usually tried to avoid going through Samaria because Jews and and Samarians didn't get along well. They looked down on each other. They condescending. They were condescending towards one another. There, there was a, it was a form of, of of a New Testament racism in that regard they didn't go through each other's neighborhoods they drove around each other's neighborhoods but the bible made it clear that jesus said to his disciples i have a need i must need go through samaria so he went out of his way off of the beaten path to go make a pass through samaria it was noontime they were all hungry the disciples went in town um, it, it was actually noon the Bible told us exactly what time it was and the dis- disciples went into town to buy lunch but Jesus stayed beside a well there um, because there was one woman a spiritually thirsty woman who came at noon which was an abnormal time for anybody to draw water but I'm, it, it, the, the way the text is presented to us it was just Jesus and her and she came to draw water from that well that day um, because she had a spiritual thirst in her soul um, and Jesus used that, that physical thirst that she had to come draw water to speak to her about the spiritual thirst that that water would never be able to fill. And, and by her faith in him, it, it becomes very clear at the end of the story, after Jesus has told her some things about herself that he should not have known, she left that water pot that she came to draw water with, went back into the city and told everybody there, I have found the Messiah. I have found the the Christ so um, by her faith in him her thirst had been quenched and she went to share that newfound hope with others which is where I'm getting at this morning too um, but the disciples when they came back first they said what are you doing talking to this Samaritan woman first and then they wondered why all of a sudden Jesus didn't appear to be hungry anymore they they encouraged him to eat and and Jesus's response to them is the heart of this whole message this morning If you look with me in John chapter 4, verse 31, I'm going to come back to this um, towards the end of the message. Um, In the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, they 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 had already talked to him about his interactions with this woman. But he said, in the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But listen to what Jesus said. I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught or anything to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already. To harvest, and he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. So Jesus, when they left, they went to buy food because they were all hungry. They came back with the food sometime after noon, sometime after this interaction that Jesus had, and they said, "We don't understand what you're doing here, talking to a Samaritan woman. We also understand why you don't appear to be hungry anymore." eat what we have brought and Jesus said I have meat to eat that you don't know anything about I have food to eat that you don't know anything about and and that meat is to do the will of the father that sent me now, now, hear me very carefully because this is the heart of everything else that I'm going to talk about after this I'm going to give you a statement that, that we're going to just build on for the rest of the message when Jesus poured himself out into other people when he poured himself into others, it didn't diminish his strength or his vitality. It energized him. Let me say that again. When Jesus took what was in him and poured it out into the life of other people, he went out of his way to go to this woman at Samaria, at that well. It was, it's very clear from the text that it was an intentional... Rendezvous, because he knew her past, he knew where she was, he knew her soul was thirsty, he met her there. While the others went to get something to eat, he met her there to minister to her. And when they came back to him, they found him in better shape than they left him. Why don't you eat? And he said, I have eaten. So let me say it again, when Jesus poured out himself to others... It didn't diminish his strength. It didn't. It didn't diminish at all the vitality that he had. It did just the opposite. It energized him. It invigorated him. It moved him to do more. Now, here's the statement that I want you to just hang on to. Um, if I had to summarize the whole message, this way, I'd summarize it. When you talk about the spiritual process of assimilation. It is that when you ingest the bread of life, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to digest the milk and the meat of God's word, it, becomes, it begins to be a part of you as you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is, what he did and what he said. Um, it gives you the strength and the ability to share both, to share Jesus and his word with other people. That's what assimilation does. When you talk about the spiritual digestive process, that, that this is where it's all, this is what it's all about. You take this in order that you might do this. You assimilate who Jesus is and what Jesus said and, and, and what Jesus did, and you assimilate your understanding of God's word into your life, um, it gives you everything that you need to go out and to share both of those things with others. Now you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that none of us have to do that J- just like I don't you know somebody told me this week I, had, I just sit down and had a conversation with them and they, they're like you know I have a I know I'm not reading the Bible like I'm supposed to I don't I, I get up in the mornings and I find excuses and I get through the day and I get busy and I get home at night and I'm too tired and they and and, and they're like can you help me and I just asked the question they've been hearing these messages too I said do you forget to eat?" Do you take time to eat every day? Well, yeah. And I said, you got to do the same thing with the book. I mean, there ain't this ain't rocket science. I ain't got a magical. You just got to make time for it. But but, but and, and sometimes we feel like that's a waste of our time But it's not Because if we're going to be who God's called us to be in the world We've got to learn to take this stuff into us Because that's what energizes us And gives us the ability to take it out And to share that sweetness with others You don't have to do it um, But the opportunity is available there The opportunity to ingest Jesus To digest his word is there You don't have to do it But it's there for you to do it The ability to go out and to share that with others, the opportunity is there, but you don't have to do it. When you don't do it, though, when you refuse to do that, this is what I believe happens. A spiritual laziness and lethargy will set in that will rob you of all of your spiritual strength. Does that make sense to you? Let me tell you something about me. If I sit around in my house long enough and do nothing, the longer I sit and do nothing, the worse I feel. It don't. I mean, I think one of the problems with sickness is you can't, you're so sick you can't get out and do anything, but it sucks the life out of you so that it takes you days, sometimes weeks, to get the energy back to go. And a lot of that isn't due to the sickness. It's because you've been lazy and lethargic for so long, your muscles begin to atrophy, and you can't even get the wind to do what you were doing a week ago. And we blame it on the sickness, but a lot of times it's just because we've been sedentary. We've been at rest too long. Right? So when you don't do these things, when you don't eat and when you don't, when you don't digest God's word and when you don't assimilate that in your life and begin to share it with others, the, the more you refuse to do that, the more lazy and lethargic spiritually you'll become and pretty soon you won't have the energy to do anything. Not to attend church, not to pray, not to be a witness, not to do anything. It settles into us and drains us of spiritual life. Um, I, I've used a quote often talking about sitting, soaking, and souring. And that came from a message that I heard Adrian Rogers preach a long, long time ago. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. Um, but I went back and looked up that phrase this week. Because I, 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 I listened to the message years ago when I was running a mail route. That's all I listened to after I got saved, was Rush Limbaugh and preaching. <laughs> um, I'd listen to preaching in Rush Limbaugh all day long when I was on the mail route. And I heard Adrian Rogers preach that message. And, and that, that phrase, um, sit, soak, and sour, just settled into me. God didn't save you so you could sit in a pew, soak up his word, and sour. And so I went back. I just typed those words into Adrian Rogers' website so that I could recall the sermon. And the quote that's associated, the whole context of that quote is even better than the quote itself. It, it, the title of the message was being strong in the faith, and he was using Abraham as an example. And We've been studying Abraham this week, so it was a timely word. Um, Adrian Rogers said this in the message. God said, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Now listen to this. God did not want to make the Jewish nation simply a reservoir of blessings. He wanted to make them a channel of blessing. That through them, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And God didn't bring us here today to make us reservoirs of blessing. To have us sit, soak, and sour. But to make us a channel of blessing. And that's what the assimilation is all about. That's what believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding His word is all about. It is. It is the believing and the understanding that leads us to the application of it. So that God's not just pouring into us knowledge and wisdom and understanding of who He is. Follow me now. He don't. He don't want us just to eat and take it in for ourselves. He wants us to do like they did in Nehemiah. Now you've eat. You've heard. You believe. You've understood. You've applied. Now go share. What's been poured into you? Go pour it out somewhere. What's been given to you, go give it away to somebody else. God didn't call us to be a reservoir of his knowledge. God didn't call us to be a reservoir of of his faith. Um, He called us to be a vessel that pours it, a channel of blessing um, that, that spreads it. So the assimilation of faith and understanding is just the applying and the sharing of everything that Christ has put into you. And when you refuse to do that, When you refuse to do that, you'll be unable to ingest and digest anything more. I'm a, don't let me shock you with what I'm about to say, all right? If, if, you, if you don't begin to pour out of yourself, you get lazy, lethargic, you get, you'll get spiritually constipated. I'm going to go to this a little bit next week, but God designed us to be, He designed there to be an outflow. Why do we eat and drink so that we can live and survive and thrive? Physically, if you stop eating and drinking, you stop living, you stop surviving, you stop thriving. Now it goes in the reverse order. You stop thriving first, and, and then you stop surviving, and then you stop living. But that's what happens if we don't take what's being put into us and begin to utilize that. In our life. So, so, so um, if you refuse to take what Christ has put in you by faith and by understanding and pour it out to others, you'll be unable to ingest or digest anything more. And um, I, I don't know a better way to say this, except that um, if, if God's given you opportunities, if He's put stuff in you that you're not using, why should He give you anything more than what you've already received? Um, I shared this with our pastors Wednesday morning in a devotional thought. If God gives us opportunities to share the gospel and we don't take those opportunities, if we get up in the morning and say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel today with somebody, to share the truth of your word with somebody, and we don't use that opportunity, it presents itself, and we walk away from it because we are scared or ashamed or felt unable or ill-equipped or whatever excuse we want to give for it. If God gave you that opportunity and you didn't use that opportunity, why should God keep giving you those opportunities? And so if he's given you, uh, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he's given you a deeper understanding and, a, and, and he's ready for you to apply that and you don't apply that, why should he give you any more understanding? Until you take what he has given to you and utilize it. Um, I've used the analogy of math before. Um, you, you can have somebody teach you how to do addition and subtraction. But you know what, every, every teacher that teaches addition and subtraction is going to want you to work through some problems. Let's do those single digit numbers first. 2 plus 2 equals, and then move up. 20 plus 20 equals. 36 plus 36 equals. Or mix those numbers up a little bit. And see. And, and, and until you get that addition and subtraction down, you're not moving any further than that. So I want you to think about this, and in, in your whole ingesting and digesting of the Word of God. There has to be an application of every principle before you receive another principle. You can't say, okay, I think I got addition to subtraction. No, go do the exercise. You can't just jump to long division or multiplication until you've done the exercise. So spiritually speaking, you've got to take what's already been poured into you and go pour it out to somebody. They've got to give you some more. So that then when people come to you and ask those hard questions, not just about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, But when when those contradictions or or hard passages or paradoxes of God's word begin to show up, your understanding is deepened and you can begin to illuminate them to some deeper truths. But until you use what he's given you, there's no reason for God to give you any more. Until you have ingested, digested, and assimilated into your life those spiritual truths that you already know, there's no reason for God to let you go any deeper than you are. So, I hate to say this, but this is where most Christians are living at. They've been poured into, poured into, poured into, poured into. But they're not pouring it back out. They're not sharing. And, and, and that makes them lazy. That makes them lethargic. That makes them disengaged. That makes them m- miserable, ineffective, non-influential. Because what's been put in them has never been poured out of them. It's never really been applied and shared. We we believe it and we know it, but it's not making a difference. It's not giving us. Uh, it is giving it to us, but we're just not utilizing it—the energy and the vitality to share it. So, so I'm gonna go back to Jesus' words. He said, "I have meat to eat. I have meat to eat." And that is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. That is what moves me and motivates me. That's what compels me. That's what energizes me. That's what invigorates me. And then he said this to his disciples. It almost looks like a strange transition there. But this is what he said to his disciples who were questioning what he'd been eating. And he said, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. You know what he's pointing them to? There's a world out there that I am equipping you to share with. If you believe who I am and you understand and apply the words that I'm giving to you, there's a harvest field that waits. That's your purpose. That's your calling. That's your meat. That's the sweetness of your Christian life is the ability to share. That, that, that assimilation of truth invigorated Jesus, and it'll, and it'll do the same for those who believe, who understand, and apply. And, and, and I believe this with all of my heart, the sweetness of your Christian experience is always going to be found in the sharing of it, not the storing of it. It's always going to be found in the sharing of it, not the storing of it. See, I have people who 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 are honest enough to tell me sometimes, preacher, I'm just bored with my Christian life. I'm just not. I'm just not getting anything out of it anymore I'm not you know and I mean I appreciate people being transparent what they mean is I'm, I'm lazy and I'm lethargic and it's not doing anything for me and my question is always what are you doing for it and there's this star struck look on their face like what do you mean I'm like what I found is the more I eat and the less I do the lazier I get right I mean, if I'm going to eat a big meal and sit down and do nothing for the rest of the day until it's time to eat another big meal and sit around and do nothing for the rest of the day, I'm just going to get fat, lazy, lethargic. But if I digest that food that I just ate and have the energy and the, and the ambition and the motivation to get up and get out the door and do something with it, I can come back to the house that evening feeling accomplished. I'm going to be honest. One of, the, one of the pool building is hard work. And I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do it. But I'm going to tell you, when I have to quit, I'm going to miss two things. I'm going to miss the money. <laughs> but the second thing I'm going to miss, because that's our mad money fund, that's our vacation money fund, and my youngest going to have to settle for some far less expensive houses after that for vacation. But, but the other thing that I miss, because this is the, one of the hard parts about ministry, sometimes you have to labor for a long time and you don't see a lot of fruit, and that's hard for me. Because I've always been used to working with my hands. And you, you fix a truck and you crank it up and they drive it off and you have a sense of accomplishment. You go to a house and dig up the yard, tear everything up. And then you put a pool up and you landscape it and you look at it and take a picture of it. And you feel a sense of accomplishment. You feel like <clears throat> my energy has been well used today. And so let me I want you to understand this. In your Christian life. The sweetness of your experience is not going to come from you storing it up. It's going to come when you pour it out. You will never know the true joy and the true contentment and the true fulfillment that comes from Jesus and his word, from the bread, from the milk, and from the meat, until you apply it and share it. Until then, it's not going to accomplish anything in you, really, and it's not going to accomplish anything through you at all. So I've, I've just done a little bit of reflecting this week, and I, I think at the end of the year it's good for us all to do this. I've been reflecting this week or this month, really, and we all do this around Thanksgiving. We, we try to be more grateful, and that ought to be an attitude that we cultivate all year long because I think it's impossible to be too grateful. But I've been thinking this week on some of the most joyful and fulfilling and invigorating experiences of my Christian life. And believe it or not, most of them didn't happen in here. Now, I can't—there have been some powerful services where people have been saved. And, I mean, I've, I recall a few of them that have, that have come— but most of my experiences, the ones that really energized me and invigorated me and made me want to go do more was the stuff that I was doing outside of this building— and 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 God worked in me, and God worked through me to touch somebody else's life. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to share one because I know we're running out of time, and I won't be. I, I'm going to try not to be long with this one, but because I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I went out to Baptist Village and visited a couple people this week. When the church was much smaller, it was much easier for me to get around. It ain't as easy as it used to be. Whenever 35, 40 people. Um, I could go see all, er, all of the elderly people um, on our church, and our, especially the widows and the people that were in the nursing homes and stuff. Um, I went to several nursing homes and several assisted living facilities, um, if not every week, every other week, and visited. I had a, a, a line of older ladies that I would go visit with 30, 45 minutes at a time. And I going to tell you something, there's one that she drained the life out of me, I promise you, because she, she didn't ever have anything positive to say about anybody. So I learned to go to her first and then go to all the other ones after that. Because I could pour out to her until I was poured out and poured out and poured out. And I'm like, okay, I need somebody to pour back for a minute before I go anywhere else. And so I know I, I, I finally learned how to plan the route. But um, I went out to Baptist Village the other day, and I was reminded of this. Um, Ovita. Y'all ain't going to know all these names, so I'm not going to share them all with you. Ovita was the executive of a state of one of her aunts. Her name was Olive. And several people in the church were related to Olive. <laughs> her name came up often for us to pray for. And Ovita one day said, you, I, Sometime when you get a chance to stop by there and see her, she kind of laughed when she said it. She's like, she's different now. And, he's, and she said... She's mad at me because I've put her out here, but I can't nobody take care of her anymore. And she stopped bathing herself. She stopped taking care of herself. She's up in her 80s. And Ovita said it just, she, she had to, and she's mad because she um, she got married late in her 50s, I think, and her and her husband didn't have any children, and they had hoarded all their money up, and she was a miser. And saying telling them, you know, how much money she's got, but right now all that money is going towards the nursing home expenses. And so she said, go visit her sometime. She smiled when she said it. She said, better be prepared. So I went and seen Ann Olive, introduced myself. Of course, she she, she knew of me. And um, I'd, I'd go by every other week or so and visit with her. And um, first couple times she was a little bit standoffish. And um, she won't tell me about how bad everybody was treating her and spending all of her money, and she just wanted to go home. And she'd tell me all kinds of stories about her child. And anyway, long story short, I just kept going back, and I honestly was struggling to find a way to enter, to engage her in a spiritual conversation. I didn't know anything about her spiritual life, other than what Ovida told me, and, and and the only thing Ovida told me is she joined Whitehall Free Will Baptist Church one time, and was baptized. But but um. Vita just, she said, I don't know if she's a Christian or not. And so one day, um, Olive, it used to tickle me because after about the third or fourth visit, she said, your wife know you come and see me? And I said, yeah, she's all right with it. She smiled, you know. She lost all of her teeth but one. And she'd grind her gums, and her gums would squeak. And I said, Miss Ann Olive, you're going to have to stop that. She laughed. She said, it bothered you?" I said, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I, I took peppermint in my pocket and gave her peppermint. I said, suck on this so you won't. And it, it, we just laughed about it, you know. But one day I asked her about her. I said, I, I, I understand that you were a member at Whitehall one time. She said, I was. And I said, so that means you were baptized. She said, I was. And I said, so you're a Christian. She, she said, well, it's like, I won't ever forget it. She said, it's like this. When you do that, you got to mean it, right? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, I didn't mean it. And it kind of rocked me a little bit. And I'm like, what do you mean you didn't mean it? She said, my husband got baptized, and I wasn't going to let him make me look bad. And that's what she said. And I said, so you didn't, you just got baptized because that's what he was doing? She said, yeah, pretty much. And so I said, so you don't, you've never asked Jesus? And then she shut me down. She said, don't push me. That was her words. don't push me. And I said, I'm going to push you no more. And So I backed out. But I kept going to see her, and every now and then I'd, I'd try to get her engaged in a little bit of a spiritual conversation. She'd always shut me down the same way, don't push me. She'd let me take her a little bit down the road, and then she'd say, don't push me. And I'm like, okay, I won't. And I backed off. She's 84, 85 years old by this time. And one day I went in to see her, and she was sitting in her wheelchair. They had put her in her wheelchair that morning, and I noticed her fidgeting with her feet. She put one foot on top of the other. Put one foot on top of the other. I said, your feet bothering you? She said, they're cold. She said, I got me out of bed this morning. I never paid any attention. I'm, men are not generally real observant anyway, but I never really paid attention to it. But she said they put me in my chair this morning they didn't put my socks or my shoes on my feet are cold and I saw her shoes under the bed and so I I just got up out of the chair grabbed the socks and the shoes and slipped them on her feet and sat back down she was crying she said why you do that and I said, because your feet's cold. She said, that ain't what I mean. She said, you don't work out here. And I said, your feet was cold. And, and she said, but you ain't my family. And I said, but I love you and I care about you. And it's faster and easier than calling a nurse. I mean, I, honestly, I was shocked. That something like that moved her like that because I'd known Olive for a long time now, and I didn't know she had a honestly didn't know she had a tear in her, and so I thought I'd hurt her initially. But but um, I said, look, it ain't a big deal. It's not a big deal. I said, if your if your feet feel better, then mission accomplished. And the next time I went back in there. When I sat down in the chair, she said, will you talk to me about Jesus? She asked me, and I said, absolutely. And she let me lead her all the way through the Romans Road to Salvation. And I asked her if she wanted to pray the sinner's prayer, and she said, I do. And I said, you going to mean it this time. <laughs> and she said, I do. I will. And two months later, I preached her funeral. Stuff like that will invigorate you in ways that nothing else will. When you begin to fulfill the purpose that God has left you here to fulfill, you'll find meat to eat that you didn't know you had. That's the sweetness of the Christian experience. I could tell you dozens, if not... I could tell you a bunch of stories along those same lines. And I'm going to tell you what doing. Going back and reflecting on it. Make you want to get out and do some more of it. Do you have any stories like that? Even if it didn't end in the conversion, I... Not everybody I've ever witnessed to. Not, not everybody I hadn't personally seen all of their conversions, but I believe that God used me to plant a seed. That's why He said, "Look on the fields; they're white ripe, ready into harvest, and and you can you can reap stuff that you didn't sow, and you can sow stuff that other people's gonna reap." But just do what I've called you to do, and you'll find the same kind of invigoration and motivation that I have found. I'm going to close with this quote by Mitch. Um, I, I saw it this week. Um, I think it was Friday or Thursday anyway, just before I studied. And and um, I thought this was a good way just to cap the whole message off. Satan's biggest fear. Mitch shares these every day if you don't follow him on Facebook. Um, he'll miss a day every now and then but generally there's something here that you can just hang on to and meditate on through the day Satan's biggest fear is for you to become what God created you to be that's why he's tried everything to make you lose focus so why do you eat the bread why do you digest the milk and the meat So that you can take it and pour it out into the life of somebody else. So that you can share the sweetness. Believe it, understand it, apply it. By sharing the sweetness of everything that Christ is to you. Everything that he's done for you. Sister Pam, will you come and lead us in the invitation with Will you stand with me? Lord, I'm grateful for your word. Just, Just the reading and the understanding, the studying of your word is invigorating. It energizes. It encourages. It it gives me motivation. And then Lord to just go out and begin to uh, pour out to other people what you've poured out into me. That's like the icing on the cake. That's the sweetness of the whole experience. I'm so very grateful that I can call heaven my home. But I'm even more grateful that I have the opportunity to invite other people to get on this journey with us. I pray that you would, um, Lord, use this message this morning to... May it stick in our mind. We'll have an opportunity this week after Thanksgiving dinner, I'm sure, to be a witness to somebody. Maybe somebody in our own family. Maybe somebody we just bump into. I pray this message would come to mind and that we would understand we have a responsibility to share who you are what you did and all that you've said to make converts and disciples of others so help us to do that add your blessing to this invitation Lord whatever you choose to do whatever, whatever work that you've done in anybody's heart God we give you glory for it in Jesus name Amen 272 if I want to look in the hymn book 272